Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We have arrived at that final chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 66. Now, this chapter primarily deals with one theme, and that is a kingdom change. All the things that God's going to do in order to bring about that kingdom change that you and I should be longing for, that we should be passionate for, that we should be living for. Now, in looking at this 66th chapter, we see something. There are words, and sometimes in the original language, these words are difficult. We may not see at first glance how that word makes sense. It seems to have a different meaning, an odd meaning, that, as I say, at first study doesn't seem right. And what oftentimes happens is this. When you look at a translation, they make it easy for you. They want to give understanding, not just rendering you the words, but in things that in the original language may not make sense. They want to help you understand them and give them a sense so they translate them oftentimes in a way that that does not relate to the original meaning. So we're going to look at the text with its difficulties. We're going to struggle, and in that struggling and with prayer, we can arrive at what God intends us to know. And secondly, we're going to see this, that this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 66 is going to speak to us about how God is going to move mightily in order to bring about that kingdom. And are we truly those who are expecting him to do so? And not just to move mightily, but how he's going to move in a very powerful way in these last days. So let's begin Isaiah chapter 66. Now, one last thing before we read that first verse. I mentioned that there's an emphasis on change and kingdom change specifically. And when Isaiah speaks about the kingdom, he uses a phrase, we've seen this before, where he speaks about the new heavens and the new earth. Now, John takes that same term in the book of Revelation. But when John uses this term, a new heavens and a new earth, he's speaking about the new Jerusalem, that final state of the kingdom of God. We know that before the New Jerusalem, there is the Millennial Kingdom. And for the most part, when Isaiah speaks about kingdom, and he uses this term that relates to a kingdom change, a new heavens and new earth, Isaiah is speaking more in regard to the Millennial Kingdom than he is the New Jerusalem. And that is because we still see an emphasis on Torah, 
the Torah is not going to be eternal. Now, it still has relevance. In fact, Messiah said, my words in speaking about the law of Moses, he says, my words will not depart until there's a new heaven and new earth. So in that millennial kingdom, there's still a relevance for Torah, and we're going to see that although there's a change. And that change is seeing the Torah from God's original standpoint. It's going to be, and the rabbis teach this, in the kingdom, and I'm speaking about the millennial kingdom, it's going to be as though that Torah is new because we're going to understand it from God's perspective and not in the limitations of man. Now, secondly, we're going to see that in the New Jerusalem, there's no temple. It is a kingdom of perfection. And because it's a kingdom of perfection, it can be eternal. But the millennial kingdom is just 1,000 years. After that, there is going to be the great white throne judgment. And after that great white throne judgment, the new Jerusalem will be established. There'll be a new heavens and new earth. In the millennial kingdom, there still can be sin. There still can be death. So realize there's differences between the millennial kingdom and the new Jerusalem. And when we know what those differences are, it's easy to see that indeed Isaiah is emphasizing more the millennial kingdom rather than the new Jerusalem. So let's begin. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1. For thus said the Lord. Now, literally it says, Ko Amar Hashem, thus said the Lord. In the past tense, because even though we're dealing with future things, the past tense is used to show us with assurance these things are going to happen. We can take comfort and assurance in what God's revealing is going to be. Thus said the Lord, the heavens are my throne and the earth my footstool. So we see that there is a connection between the heavens and the earth, again, God's creation, that God is connected to both. But his throne, his rule, where he sits is in the heavens. But there is that limited connection between God and this creation, this world, the earth, because he sets his footstool there. But God wants change. He wants to come and dwell in a very different way in this creation. How do I know that? Keep reading. He says, where is the house? The house that you have built for me. Now that word house by it in Hebrew is also a reference to the temple. So where is the temple which you have built for me? He also says, where is the place of my my rest? Now, again, that word, minucha, in Hebrew, rest. It's related to Shabbat, which is related to the kingdom. Sabbath is a kingdom word. So, again, God is using terminology that should cause the reader to ponder, to think about the kingdom, to realize this is a kingdom passage. Now, one of the things that Judaism teaches, and it's, it's based upon this chapter, 
is that God wants something. Who would say, Dira be tachtonim, which means he wants a dwelling place. A dira, a dwelling place in the, the lower parts, meaning in this world where humanity is. God wants to dwell intimately with us. That's why he wants a house. That's why he wants that place for his rest. He wants to be with us, and he's going to bring that about in establishing his kingdom. Verse 2. And all these, meaning the heavens and the earth, which is a reference to creation, all creation, he says, my hand has made. Then we have an interesting phrase in the middle of verse 2 where it says, which means all of these they were now most scholars see this phrase that i translated they were speaking about them existing them having been that they exist so god is the architect and the creator for all that is everything that exists it came through the hand meaning the authority and the power of god and then he says something very important in verse 2 at the end. Neum Hashem abit, declares the Lord, and to this I will look. So God declares that he's made all of these things, all of these things exist by him. And then he says, and this, to this, I will look. Now, this is the word abit, which is significant. It's not the normal word to see or to look upon something. It means to gaze with intent, to look or to scrutinize something. It's word of looking in a very, very serious way. And what is God looking to? It says, <laughs> to the one who is afflicted or poor, and he says to the one nache ruach, which means a contrite spirit. That word nache is literally the word for disability today, one who's disabled. So his spirit, and this is probably speaking about that, that spirit of man, that it's it's disabled, meaning he's not at peace, he's not comfortable, it's not functioning. Why? Well, we were made and created to live with God to be in his kingdom that's why he placed us in the garden of eden but now we're not there we're in a sin-stained word world and therefore one is not at peace their their soul is is uh uh uncomfortable in other words but he's speaking to the one who's afflicted who has that contrite or broken or disabled spirit not at peace in this world and he says and the one who trembles at my word. Now, this begins a significant change. God is saying, I'm speaking to you. This passage is about one who is taking my words seriously, that they respect them, that those words bring about a change in that person. They hear the revelation of God's word and they shake, meaning they give it priority. They give it an importance. Look now to verse verse 3. Now, I mentioned this is about change. And there's coming a change. We all know the verse that says, I don't desire sacrifice 
but obedience. And we're going to see that there's a change where, look at verse 3, very important verse. Shochet hashor. Now, shochet means to sacrifice. It speaks about a ritualistic killing in the temple, upon the altar. Not a murder, not just simply killing, but a slaughtering of an animal within the context of an offering or a sacrifice. So the one who sacrifices or slaughters an ox, and by the way, the ox was the most precious animal that one could offer up. He's going to be seen. This one who gives a great sacrifice, but in this new condition, he's going to be one that's seen as giving a death blow to a man. It's the word makay, to, to kill a man, but it's the word to strike him in a way that will lead to death. And the one who sacrifices is a different word, not shochet, but the word zoveach for a, a temple offering. The one who sacrifices a sheep, here again, a common, a normal occurrence to sacrifice sheep. He's going to be viewed how? As one who, and the implication is, the back of the neck of a dog, meaning like one struck and killed by breaking the neck of a dog. Now, dogs, there's two concepts of dogs in the scripture. There is dog, which is seen as as an animal that hangs out among the rubbish, that travels in packs, and that are threatening, unclean, and wanted to be avoided, meaning we want to avoid them. Secondly, there's a dog like we think that lives among us, that that's almost part of our family, that we love. And this is what it's speaking about. One who takes this domesticated dog that's part of the family, family and breaks his neck. It says also the one who, keep reading, male mincha, one who offers up, this is simply a generic word for, for bringing up, bringing up an offering, a grain offering, is going to be viewed as though he's offering up the blood of a swine, pig's blood. And the one who, and this is word for making mention. Now, it's speaking about an incense. Levona is a, a incense that was offered up. It was burnt, but it was made with the mentioning of prayers. And that's why we have that term for, I realize that some will take this word, which means to make mention of, signifying how prayers were lifted up to God with incense. They take it and they translate it in a way they ought not and say, burn incense. Well, of course you burn incense, but this is emphasizing one who's praying, making mention of their supplications and prayers with the incense offering, they are going to be viewed as one who is blessing. And I believe there's some translation that says blessing an idol, but it's the word avin. You do some research. This was not an idol. This is wickedness. So one who is offering up incense, and we know incense relates to the prayers of the saints. Read the book of Revelation. So one who is making prayers, the saints who are praying, is going to be viewed as one who blesses wickedness. Now, it's all speaking about a major change that is happening. It says, why? All of these things are because 
also they have chosen their way now what is god going to liken choosing one's own way doing it how they want well notice this next phrase he speaks about here as one who is 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 in abomination so their abominations god's going to see this because there's a change coming we're going to see that obedience is what god is going to emphasize and reward and bless not sacrifice and offering there's a different mindset so it's going to be also these that have chosen their ways and in their their abominations it says their soul has delighted so they like their soul has delighted in their ways and in their abominations what god sees as as unrighteous unholy and something that is is repulsive to him he says verse 4 also i will choose with there and the next word is a word that means like mystery but here it means delusions or deceit god is going to say you have been deluded you are are walking in a deceitful way and deceitfulness brings about something so i'm going to bring about what you have been deluded to believe you're going to get the outcome of being deceived and notice something else he says your fears that which you have feared meaning you have not wanted i'm going to bring upon them now notice he says upon them there's a dichotomy between they and the people of god in this passage as we've seen throughout prophecy in general including isaiah there's an emphasis upon the remnant that god's going to redeem that god's going to take to himself that are going to be his people and he's going to be their god but not so with these their worst fears god's going to bring upon them why why has he why is he going to act in this way he says keep reading in verse 4 because i have called but there was no answer i have spoken but but they did not hear what did they do instead of responding remember that word here is a responsive word responding in the right way what did they do but they did the evil in my eyes and what i did not desire they have chosen now we need to make this personal are we choosing the things are we pursuing those things that that god says they're not my ways they're not my my desires for you they i see as an abomination i see this as you being deceived and deluded by the enemy because you want what i don't desire he says in verse 5 listen and the implication is hear the word of the lord who the ones who tremble at at his word at the word of god and he says they say who says your brethren now initially and i would say throughout this passage although nations gentiles are going to be spoken of there's an emphasis here upon israel very important that we see this when we do not see this 
We, we misunderstand what God's saying. Now, let's be biblical. In fact, let me say it this way. Let's be biblical in the sense of hearing and receiving what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans. We all know, you've heard this, that there's the time where we speak of it as the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11. That fullness of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. And God, who has been working mightily among the nations for almost 2,000 years, that is going to come to an end. And God's going to begin to turn back his attention to bring redemption to a remnant of the Jewish people. One-third of the Jewish people. This is what this chapter is emphasizing. God moving back for that remnant of Israel, of the lost sheep of the house of Judah. This is what he's speaking of in this passage. So that's why he says, listen or hear the word of the Lord, the ones who tremble at my word. Your brothers, meaning those fellow uh, uh, Jews, they say, and what are they? They are the ones that hate you. And they see you as what? Outcasts. Now, why is that? On account that, that my name, the Lord, glorifies. My name, meaning the name of God. And I would even say, and we'll see a reason for this in a moment, my name, I believe, refers to Yeshua. Now, again, I say this not lightly, but because I've read the next few verses. So what we see is that there are those who are going to be viewed as outcasts. They're going to be viewed as hated ones because the name of Yeshua, they, they've received and the Lord is going to glorify. The Lord is going to put his sanction, his approval on that name because he is his son. Notice what it says. It says, we, very important, we will see. Who's we? Well, the plural here, I believe, is referring to God or the heavens. We will see your gladness, but they they will be ashamed. So those who stand against God's glory, specifically my view, Messiah's glory being manifested, those who are hated in this world because of their faith in Yeshua, in the end, God's going to move and he's going to manifest their joy, meaning our joy. When he says your joy, those who fear the word of God, who give God priority, and those who are against that, they are going to be eternally made ashamed. Now, look, if you would, to verse 6. It says, the voice or sound, it's the Hebrew word kol with a kuf, not a kaf. Kol sha'on, a, a sound, and it's a noise. It's a sound of, of uh, interrupting. It causes someone to give attention. So the voice of a sound or a noise from a city. And again, the voice or the sound from the sanctuary. The sound of the Lord. And what's he doing? Meshalem. Meshalem, in modern Hebrew, this is where to pay something. 
it's to render but it has that word shalom beshalem from the word shalom which means to bring to completion i've men- mentioned many many times shalom is the fulfillment of god's will what god's doing in this passage is making his will complete bringing it out so it's a sound it's a voice it's a noise that captures our attention everyone's attention because the lord is paying out his retribution to who to his enemies now we see something being referred to us those who do not want to glorify my name meaning yeshua's name those who do not want to glorify that are god's enemies this is what he's saying in this passage verse 7. now in verse 7 he's talking about a change a new birth a birth that is supernatural don't miss what god's saying here the imagery that he's giving verse 7. before you or she travails now i say that because the same grammatical form can be second person uh singular masculine or third person singular feminine in this case i believe it's feminine so it would be before she travails and then we have a confirmation she will give birth or has give have given birth and before she'll come upon her pain it says she will give birth she will bear a male now this is why i said that we're speaking about a reference to messiah because this word zahar is used prophetically in regard to messiah so it's what we see as a male child for example in the book of revelation we see about israel that nation giving birth to a male child and it speaks about messiah of course this is is greek in the new testament this is hebrew but it's the same concept and we see a reference to that as well in the old testament verse verse 8 who has heard such a thing who has seen something like these so again all of this language where it says me shema kazot me ke'ele who has seen such a thing who has 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 seen these type of occurrences and it says is a a nation able to travail in one day and this word travail means for the purpose of giving birth it says will a nation now it's the literal word for giving birth in one day what it speaks about is this can there be the kingdom established in a day in one time just abruptly and and so so quickly can such a thing happen i mean we've been praying for the kingdom of god for for a long time within our lives but the generations before that before even before messiah people were praying for the kingdom of god and it hasn't come but it's going to come abruptly quickly in one day at one time that's what he's saying here for she shall travail also give birth and who 
Well, the she here is Zion. Zion. It's a kingdom word. And Zion's going to travail and give birth to her sons. And sons here means simply offspring. It can be both male and female. So what's going to happen is this. There's coming a time when there's going to be a transformation where the kingdom is going to be established and all the kingdom's inhabitants are going to be there. It's going to be a glorious moment. This is what God's speaking to in this passage. The birth and the establishment of Zion, the kingdom of God. God says, look at verse 9. Am I one that that uh, uh, breaks and literally causes to be broken? Most scholars, when a woman gives birth, the water breaks. So it's part of the birthing process. And he says, you know, do I stop, start that? I, I, I break the water and then I, I don't allow birth, says the Lord? Of course, this is not the case. He says, am I one that, that causes to be born and then stops it? Is that what I do, says your God? And obviously, no. God's not going to stop it. He's not going to hinder it. He's going to bring it to its conclusion, its fulfillment. And that's why he says, rejoice, and it's plural. He's speaking to his people, kingdom people, believers. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Rejoice, then it says, not with, but in her. All who love her. And that's why I don't understand. And I know that some of you believe I I just labor on this point too much, but I think it's huge. I do not know how someone can look towards Jerusalem today and see the scripture that says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand be forgotten. May my tongue uh, stick to the roof of my mouth. I don't see how when we see throughout scripture, Jerusalem being upheld to us, being admonished to us as a special place. And we see prophetic passages that people can say, there's no more importance to Jerusalem. God's finished with that land. God's not interested in real estate. I don't believe how someone can make such statements that, in my belief, are our gross heresy. It says here, look again. You rejoice, you all rejoice with Jerusalem. And then a different word, rejoice in her, all who love her, all the lovers of her. Rejoice with her a joy. All those who are mourning concerning her, what does that mean? In her current condition, in that state, present state of Jerusalem. We know things are not going to get better because prophetically, Jerusalem and the last day is called Sodom and Egypt. Didn't mispronounce Sodom and Egypt in the book of Revelation. How do we know that's Jerusalem? It says where our Lord was crucified. So Jerusalem, we should be grieved today. It's even going to be worse as we approach the last days. The unrighteousness that will be present in that city because the Antichrist is going to want to use that city for his purpose. So we should be grieving, mourning over her spiritual condition. But there's a change coming. Look at verse 11. He's saying because of this kingdom change, rejoice and be glad. Verse 11, for the count, on account of 
you shall nurse so we're going to be fed but it's literally the word nurse you shall nurse and you shall be satisfied from the breasts of of her that comforts that comforts her so god is going to comfort he is going to give nourishment to this kingdom hope and we see the image here as a nursing mother gives nourishment as a nursing mother gives nourishment to her children this is what it's saying on account that you shall suck and you shall shall be delighted and then we have the word maziz now the word maziz means to cause to move i realize that some bibles will say it's abundant doesn't mean abundant other bibles will translate it different way but the word maziz means to cause to move and what's being moving god's glory so all of this this establishment of the kingdom and kingdom nourishment its provision being given to the people is an outcome of the glory of god moving what is this a reference to what we talked about in verse one that god's saying my throne is in heaven but it's not going to be there read the book of revelation it's all about the book of revelation is all about god bringing his throne into this world that's what he's going to do ultimately he wants to dwell with us and this is what it's speaking about god's glory is going to move into this world this is what it means when we say kadosh 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 hashem savot holy 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 is the lord the god of hosts his his glory fills his his the world his glory fills the world verse 12 for thus said the lord behold i am stretching forth unto you as a river peace what does that mean god is extending to us he's making a fulfillment of his promises of his purposes he is sending forth the fulfillment of his will that's peace and it's going to be as a river and then he says as a a dry river in that season at that right time it 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 flows and what's going to be there the glory of the gentiles meaning this there's going to be that change among the nations we see that many times prophetically and that's that fullness of the gentiles we spoke about they are going to nourish you literally they are going to nurse you you will will nurse at them and upon the side that's literally what it says not plural singular upon the side oftentimes when a woman nursed a child she lays down on her side and it says upon the side you're going to to nurse but you're going to be lifted up and upon knees you are going to be amused you're going to be played with it's a term of amusement of joy of happiness of joy this is what god's going to do verse 13 as a man whom his mother comforts him thus i will comfort you in jerusalem you shall be comforted now this word that's repeated several times comfort is the same word where we get the term capernaum in the new testament capernaum is the village of comfort and this word is so related to messiah and his work 
So all of this is is telling me that this passage of the kingdom has messianic overtones in a very powerful way. Verse 14, and you shall see, he makes a distinction between you and they. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice and your bones being in the very essence of you as a green field shall sprout. So your very essence is going to sprout forth like a green, a lush field. And it says, the hand of the Lord will be known with my servants. Not to my servants, but with my servants, meaning the power of God is going to be in us. But, notice what he says, Vezaam et oivav, which means, but wrath with, with his enemies. So this dichotomy, this change, verse 15. Behold, literally, kihine, for behold, I want to get this right, for behold, the Lord with fire shall come. Speaking of his judgment, his wrath, his chariots as a a storm and this means a tempest like a tornado or hurricane so his chariots as a hurricane and what's it going to do well it is going to to bring back it is going to cause it's a response lashiv is one way that we can say to answer so this is god's answer he's going to answer the world with his wrath of his anger and his rebuke with flames of fire for with fire the lord will be judged now if your bible says with fire the lord will judge although he will judge with fire that's not that what it's saying the previous verse said this this says something different it's in the passive meaning this we're going to know the lord his judgment he is going to be manifested he is going to give testimony of his identity through how he judges so it says here with fire the lord will be judged not meaning that he's going to be a recipient of that fire but through the fire of the lord he is going to be understood meaning there's going to be a revealing a a case goes to to court and the judge gives a verdict that that problem that issue that case is judged and there at the conclusion something's revealed He's innocent. He's guilty. He's whatever. This is what it's saying here. It's going to be through God's judgment of evil, his wrath being poured out, that he's going to be manifested. He's going to be judged. It's going to be revealed, his nature. And he says, and with his, with his sword, all flesh. All flesh is going to be judged with his, his sword. And the multiplication of the carcasses of the Lord, all those who the Lord are going to slain and the last days, there's going to be a multiplicity. Now, verse 17 says this, or verse, the first 16 verses says this, but look at verse 17. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to respond, not according to his word, but according to their thoughts, their ways. Notice what it says. There's going to be those that that sanctify themselves and, and the implication is, attempt to make themselves pure by going to the gardens. 
This is not what God calls us to do. It's Messiah that makes us sanctified and pure. And they're going to do this one after another and in the midst. And what are they going to do in the midst of these gardens when they say we're sanctifying ourselves? Notice the rebelliousness. These are the ones that eat the flesh of swines and the abominable things and the mouse all together. And what does he say? Yasufu. They are going to come to their end, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord a promise. This false attempt, this disobedient, rebellious way to try to get themselves right with God. They're doing it according to their thoughts. And that's why God says, look at verse 18. I know their deeds and their thoughts. Because of that, he comes. Now, it's interesting. The word coming is in the feminine because we're going to see that with God's coming of judgment also will come redemption for his people. Now, we have to pay attention to changes grammatical changes gender changes in the text so oftentimes when god is is referenced in the feminine it brings about a a redemptive context and this is what we see here look again at verse 18 he says i and the implication is i know their their deeds and their thoughts and he says come the lord's coming to gather up all the nations and all tongues and they shall come and they shall see my glory now that glory is a glory of judgment remember the context inappropriate worship abominations eating of swine all of these things now let me ask you a question there's no question that this is a last day's context correct we're talking about the last days god establishing his kingdom and within that context god speaks against those that eat pig god's consistent and to say oh we have that freedom we never have the freedom to sin let's be obedient let's look at the word of god it's not hard to understand this it's not by accident that god speaks this because it shows They didn't fear his word. They didn't tremble at his word. We need to do that. We need to take God's word seriously. So if you're someone that thinks, oh, I'll just eat God's claimed all meat, the scripture doesn't say that. That is a mistranslation. And we've had teachings on those passages, for example, from Mark and Matthew, that that shows why they are mistranslations. They speak not of the word of God, but the desires, the sinful desires of individuals. Verse 18, I, their deeds and their thoughts, and this is why he's coming, to gather up all the nations and the languages, they shall come and they shall see my glory it's a glory that's manifested as we've seen through his wrath and i will set among them notice this i will set among them ot, a sign a miraculous sign that i will send from them or i will send from them out of them notice god's graciousness now this oat i believe and others would agree it's a messianic sign it is that that last opportunity 
There's going to be a remnant. Yes, I know the fullness of the Gentiles have ended. God's turning his way back to Israel. But when Israel gets right with God, there's going to be a blessing. And it's going to be this revelation of Messiah in the last days that Israel's going to look upon that remnant and believe. There's also going to be a portion of the nations. But it's all happening within God's wrath. Messiah is the one that's pouring out the wrath of God. It's his wrath. As the book of Revelation says, the wrath of the Lamb. But nevertheless, there are going to be refugees among the nations. And then he says, in Tarshish, Pool, Lud, those that are benders of the bowl in Tubal and Yavan. Yavan can mean Greece or perhaps better, Europe. And faraway islands which did not hear my report, my testimony. They did not see my glory. Now, what is God going to do? He is going to have that final revelation. And he says here, and they will tell, all these things will tell my glory among the nations. Now, it's emphasizing these refugees, these ones who are sent among these places, they are going to tell my glory among the nations. Now, these individuals or these events that manifested. And what is God going to do? Verse 20. I will bring, literally, and they will bring all your brothers. Now, he's turning back to Israel. He says, this is all going to be seen in these places among the nations. This this sign and such. But what's emphasized here is its effect that's going to happen on who? It's happening among the nations. Can someone uh, respond to that? God willing? I hope so. But the emphasis of the text is not the nations. God's doing these things among the nations for those Jews that are still in exile. Why? Look at verse 20. They shall bring all your brothers. You're speaking about Israel your brothers from among the nations, from all the nations. And they are going to bring that that offering unto the Lord. They are going to respond, these, with an offering. And they're going to come on horses, in chariots, in uh, uh, this next word can mean uh, almost like tortoises, uh, that they're going to come on loads, on mules, on camels. And they're coming to where there's going to be that return. They're going to be brought back to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. So God sees Jerusalem still as his holy mountain. It's going to go through a time of abundant corruption. But nevertheless, God is going to purify. He's going to sanctify. He's going to transform Jerusalem. And it is going to be where his kingdom is for those thousand years. One of the problems that many, especially Reformed theologians make, is they want to link together the passages that speak about the Millennial Kingdom and the New Jerusalem. Combine them. We must not do that. The Scripture does not allow for us to do it. So there's going to be a transformation among the nations of 
a remnant of the Jewish people. And they are going to respond. They are going to want to worship. They are going to bring a gift. They are going to travel to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, God says. Just as, as the children of Israel, they bring their offering in holy vessels or pure vessels, excuse me, cleed to whore, pure vessels, where of the house of the Lord. So we're going to see finally unity that those that were in exile separated from the house of God, they're going to be brought back. And it says, verse 21, among those Jews that were in exile, that were, were not worshiping, were, were lost in spiritual darkness, he says, also from them, I will take to be Levitical priests. Now, this is what tells us that we're dealing with the millennial kingdom. Millennial uh, kingdom because we have Levitical priests, says the Lord. Verse 22, for just as the, just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I am doing, just as they are going to stand before me, meaning that there's a, a permanency here, and it speaks about eternal salvation. Just as that new heaven, new earth is going to stand before me, says the Lord. Thus, your seed will stand in your name. Meaning that your offspring, these that come to faith in the last days, they're going to have an eternality. And your name, meaning their character, they're not going to change. Verse 23. Now, verse 23 speaks about millennial worship. Why do I say that? It says, And it shall come about each month in its month, and each year in its year, will come all flesh to bow down before me, says the Lord. Now, this is something, because of Shabbat and New Moon, that is every month, this is speaking about Torah that's not going to be enforced in the New Jerusalem, but in the Millennial Kingdom. And something else that tells us that this is Millennial Kingdom, notice what's going to happen for those that are born in the Millennial Kingdom, but will not submit. It says here, they shall go out, meaning wherever they are, returning back to Jerusalem to worship God, they shall go out from their places and they shall see. All those disobedient ones, they're going to see the carcasses of the transgressors, the men who transgress or people who transgress against me. And notice there is eternity here, this eternal punishment for those who transgress, who reject the word of God. It says, for their worms are not going to die. And their fire, this fire of torment and punishment, will not be extinguished. And it says, and they will be, and this next word, their own, they will be a abhorrence to all flesh. They will look at them and abhor them, and it all comes down to the fact they did not respond to the word of God. They did not want a kingdom experience. They wanted to establish things according to their thoughts and their ways, which God says are an abomination to him. So a change is coming, 
a kingdom change. And my last word to you concerning the prophecy of Isaiah in our study of of this entire prophecy is to take seriously God's word, see what he says about things such as Shabbat, the new moon, what he says about eating swine flesh, pork. Read what the word of God says and that fact that it comes to us in a kingdom context. Now, personally, I have no interest in what someone eats, but because I love others, I'm commanded to, that causes me to want to share these things, that you hear the truth, that you see them, and that you respond obedient because we are our brother's keeper. Personally, this may not be of interest to us in the flesh, but because we're a new creation, all things in other people's life become an interest because I want to influence, and you should too, influence them to do what's pleasing to God. That's why I make these statements, not for some personal reason, but because I'm committed to the truth of God, and my hope is, and my belief is, you are as well. And let's lead others to have that same commitment. Well, it's been a joy sharing with you from the book of Isaiah for many, many months. I hope it's been an encouragement. I hope it's been a a blessing to you. And until our next book that we begin, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.